Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Good morning, Faith Church. How are you guys doing? You guys doing okay? I'm really stoked to be here with you guys. If you are new here, my name is Tom. If you're not new here, my name is still Tom. <laughs> I wanna say hi and thanks for joining us online. Um, I consider this an honor and a privilege to share the scriptures with you this morning. I don't take this moment lightly. Uh, and I'm also excited and I'm a little nervous. I've never talked in front of you guys before, so we'll see how this goes. There is a quote that is centuries years old. It's, it's been around for a long time and I don't like it. It's one that you guys probably know well. It's money doesn't buy you happiness. Whenever I hear that, I think, well, I'd like to decide for myself. (laughs) I'd like to test out this theory. I appreciate Denzel Washington's perspective of this quote. He says, money doesn't buy you happiness, but it sure is a heck of a down payment. One of my favorite action heroes growing up, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just watched The Predator the other day. So rad. But Arnold Schwarzenegger, this is what he has to say about money and happiness. Money doesn't buy you happiness. I have $50 million, and I was just as happy when I had $48 million. (laughs) Thanks for that perspective, Arnie. I remember several years ago, it was my mom's birthday, and I wanted to be a good son. This is so terrible. And I was like, you know what? I want to get her a gift that is memorable, something she'll remember for the rest of her life that's thoughtful, special. So I bought her a fake scratch-off lottery ticket. And I gave it to her, and she was like, oh, thanks, honey, appreciate it. Nonchalantly started scratching. And then her eyes popped open as if she had just discovered a cure of some deadly disease She thought she won $25,000. And then the excitement quickly came to a halt when she read the back of the ticket when it it said to where to uh, collect her winnings. And I quote, at your mama's house. (laughs) She then proceeded to grab this giant, ripe, Palm Springs, Californian-grown grapefruit and she Nolan Ryan'd that thing with precision straight to my face. I had to Neo from Matrix that. I had to dodge it. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be here with you today. I mean, I felt like it was an overreaction. It's just money, right? But isn't that funny how money can do that? It, it, we think that it provides us a sense of fulfillment or satisfaction. Well, what about, what if we... Push that to the side. Okay, if money doesn't necessarily provide satisfaction or fulfillment, ah, what about to be young again? Have you ever noticed our society's obsession with being young and the youth culture? An alarming stat that I just read, facial plastic surgery has seen a 40% increase within the last few years alone. Because being young and looking young and fresh, that will solve our dissatisfaction and and that will fulfill us, right? No, maybe? Okay, being rich, we'll push aside. Being young, we'll push. Ah, I've got it. Being in authority. Having power. 
being an influencer, that's what will cause us to have satisfaction and fulfillment. If we can just get people to listen to us and do what we say, all we need to do is build our online platform. All we need is that blue check mark on Tweetbook or Faith Space, hashtag Life Goals 2023. No? Okay. Pushing all joking aside, today we're gonna launch into the portion of scripture that exhibits a rich, young ruler and how he initiates an encounter with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22. I'll read it out loud. It says this. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Well, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want eternal life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Let's pray. Father, blessed are those who are pure in heart for it's them that see God. Lord, we are not pure in and of ourselves. We plead the blood of Jesus. Lord, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Open our eyes to see what it is you have to tell us this morning. Challenge us, convict us, encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This story that we just read shows up three out of the four Gospels. We just read Matthew's account, which mentions that this man was young. The Gospel of Luke tells us that this man was a ruler, and the Gospel of Mark tells us that this man was blinging. He was rich. In the first century, if someone was rich and in authority, it was widely accepted that you were blessed and that you had found favor in the eyes of God. I mean, this guy is on top of the world. He's got everything going for him. If there's one person on the planet should feel unbound, and the one person who should feel this sense of genuine freedom, fulfillment, and satisfaction, wouldn't it be this guy that we just read about? Now, I wanna follow the context of Matthew. He's a brilliant writer, it's not an accident that paired with the story of the rich young ruler. Matthew pens just verses before the story of the little children being brought to Jesus. Do you see the juxtaposition? The kids have nothing. The rich young ruler has everything. Yet the kingdom belongs to the kids. Now let's dive in, get the microscope out, and look at verse 16 and go verse by verse. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get 
eternal life. The gospel, the gospel of Mark records that this man runs up to Jesus and falls at his feet. So don't picture this young man approaching Jesus with a sense of formality or with a sense of dignity or being proper. Uh, Jesus, what must? No, he falls at the feet of Jesus. Picture that in your mind's eye. There is desperation in this young man's encounter. Now, because we are on this side of the New Testament, we now know that this young man is asking the wrong question. But before we get too judgmental, this question would have been totally acceptable back then. It's only because we're on this side of the resurrection. Before that, those who observed Judaism were wrestling with how to obey the law perfectly. And we now know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. And this is why we now know that asking, what good thing must I do to get saved? That is the wrong question. I appreciate our brother, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, his letter to the Ephesians. This is a famous verse. Most of us, maybe not most of us, a lot of us might have this memorized. But he says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, praise God. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I also appreciate his uh, comment to the Romans. Now, this context of this verse is this is before they were followers of Jesus, but he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So what's the bottom line, friends? The bottom line is we cannot earn eternal life. We cannot perform our way into eternal life. And the man who has everything knows that he's missing something. He's desperate. And he has come to realize that being young, being rich, and a person in authority, it leaves you and I and him empty. His desire to earn eternal life is futile. Right off the bat, we can make this observation from looking at the rich young ruler, that even in our great abundance, we can recognize our great need. Notice that it says we can, because it's not a guarantee. It requires humility and a brokenness. Let's continue now to watch how Jesus begins to operate as a good physician on this young man's heart. Verse 17, why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want eternal life, keep the commandments. Jesus's question is great. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus, notice this, Jesus doesn't deny his own goodness. Instead, in a subtle way, Jesus is trying to connect the dots to his own deity. It's like he's saying, if only God is good, are you calling me God? And then after the subtlety subsides, Jesus takes the straightforward approach. Like a good rabbi who obeys the Torah, Jesus goes straight to the law. 
Jesus is telling this young man, all right, dude, listen, you want eternal life? Then you have to keep the commandments. Keep the commandments? This is a tall order. This is crazy. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. To keep it in perspective, Adam and Eve couldn't even obey one. And they were born without sin nature. Not like you and me. I'm a knucklehead. I know that I would fall. I appreciate James' brother, his perspective of keeping the law. It says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. In the kingdom economy, the keeping the law is like hanging from a helicopter at 10,000 feet with a chain that has 613 links. If just one of those links break, of course, this isn't rocket science, you fall. For all have sinned, fall, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some would say, our critics would say, or maybe you say, maybe I say this sometimes. Some would say, man, th this seems cruel. This doesn't seem gracious of a God to design reality like this. But could we humble ourselves for just a second? I would argue, check out this perspective. I would argue it's the most loving thing a God can do. The sooner that you and I recognize and realize the fragility and the fickleness of our own self-imposed righteousness, the sooner that we will realize the need of a savior. Amen? But this takes humility. This takes a willingness to be broken. Keep the commands, Jesus says. Verse 18, which ones? The young man inquired. Jesus replied, so he starts listing off some of the 10 commandments. Goes for the gusto, the 10. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. This young man's question, which ones? It, it kind of cracks me up. It's like if I were to go into my daughter's room and I don't know about how your kids play. My kids, I feel like they have to incorporate any piece of plastic that even resembles a toy and throw it all in their room in the entire house. I don't know if yours do that, but it's like me going to my daughters and going, girls, pick up your room. And if they looked at me and went, which ones? Something in my gut tells me they know exactly what I'm talking about. Pick up all your toys, girls. Not Pick them all up. Young man, Keep the commands. Which ones? All of them. Now, Jesus, because he's much more compassionate than I am, he responds better than I would, but he chooses to point out the Ten Commandments. In this moment, Jesus is going to continue to display, listen to this, that he's a good physician. Jesus is performing heart surgery right before our eyes. A good physician doesn't just take a chainsaw out and start hacking away. He's very calculated in this moment of telling him which commands he needs to follow. So I wanna invite us this morning. Maybe some of you wanna close your eyes, whatever. Just take a big breath. I'm gonna read the 10 commandments to us. And let's just absorb them for a second, okay? You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make unto thee any graven images. You shall not take the name of the Lord, Yahweh, thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor. This is so cool. Can we go a couple layers deep for a second? Hang with me. Commandment one through four primarily deal with us and our relationship with God. Commandment five through 10 primarily deal with us and our relationship with others. And it's really cool in other parts of the Old Testament when people ask Jesus, what's the greatest command, Jesus? He goes, love God, love people. Because he knows the 10 commandments are all interlinked to each other. So when the rich young ruler asks, which commands to follow? Which ones do I need to follow? Jesus begins by operating, by starting at commandment number six. He's not starting at six because he, uh, I forget the first five. He, he's operating, friends. He's operating. He's starting at six. Don't murder. Then he goes to seven. Don't cheat on your wife, dude. Then he goes to eight. Don't steal. Then he goes to nine, don't lie. And then he goes backwards to five. Honor your mother and father. And then he concludes the summary of five through 10. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some believe that him going backwards to number five was this hint, this nod of, look, dude, I know you, where you got your inheritance from. It was from your parents. But we don't know that for sure. I could see that be an impossibility. But it's really interesting. He ignores the 10th commandment and the first four. And what's the 10th commandment? You shall not covet your neighbor. Hmm. Jesus might be hinting at something. Could it be that Jesus as a surgeon has located the infection of this young man's heart? but he wants this young man to see it too. It's like he's saying, ah, there's the infection without saying there's the infection. Verse 20, all these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? This is crazy. Now we see that this man was not only rich, he was not only young, he was not only a ruler, he was religious. He's kept all the commandments. I mean, if, if this guy's in trouble, then I'm hosed, we're hosed. But even here, do you notice the young man is asking, what do I still lack? This young man believes that he has checked off every box to be the poster child of club eternal life. He's in the upper echelon of society. He's a good Torah observant Jewish man. He's a shoe in for the kingdom. He knows there's something that is still off. He is still left lacking. And this is so fascinating to me. Can we all just stop for just a second? Do you ever feel this way? 
That faith, I love it, we're just rooted and real. I don't wanna think for one second that any of us in this room are immune, because we're so religious, that we're immune to feel this like, Lord, what, what am I still lacking? Wrestle with that feeling. What would, it, I'm gonna ask a question, this is great, I'm gonna ask, what would it look like if we responded like this young man did as recorded in Mark, that we ran and fell to the feet of Jesus. What do I still lack, Jesus? Become vulnerable with Jesus and prepare to hear his voice of calling, correction, conviction, affirmation, truth, love, that's why, you guys, I was so blessed by last week. I don't know if you were here last week, but we took this whole front row. We cut it out, and we just had this open altar kind of moment where people could just come forward and have an encounter with Jesus. First service, I was an absolute wreck. It was like I had watched Bambi all over again. I was in that front row just bawling. Just, I mean, bawling because I had a brother come to me and confess some stuff, some heavy stuff, man. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm strong. It was just such a beautiful moment. That was a falling at the feet of Jesus moment. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. Or we can just keep playing the game. All I need is that new spouse. Then I won't lack. All I need is to come to church every Sunday and hold a baby in the nursery. Then I won't lack. All I need to do is shed some pounds and stop eating ducks donuts. Dude, that's good. Mm Holla at you, boy. Man, I love ducks. Okay, anyway, so forth and so forth. But if we just shed some pounds, then I won't lack. The gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus looked at this young man and loved him. Isn't that cool of Jesus? He knows he's still lacking, but he loves him. Jesus had compassion on this man. And Jesus loves us and has compassion on us as well. He knows our heart better than we know our heart. He sees your and my infection before we even know that it's there. He knows what you and I, check, uh, this is so cool. He knows what you and I unbound looks like in the kingdom. He sees our potential. He sees the echo of eternity and the echo of royalty in us. He remembers Eden and he knows that everything is going to be renewed and restored. Jesus pictures us in eternal life as our full reconciled self. And it's because of this that Jesus will risk offending us. Jesus will risk refining us. Jesus continues his heart surgery, verse 21. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. So here's the connection. What's the 10th commandment again? You shall not covet your neighbor. Covet means to yearn, to possess, or to have. And it's here that Jesus, with precision and scalpel in hand, like a good physician, starts to expose the infection of this young man's heart. Young man, you're trying to earn. You're trying to possibly buy 
your way into the kingdom, to be perfect, let's expose what's causing you to feel like you're lacking. Ah, there it is. Sell all that you have and follow me. Now let's back up. How are you guys doing? You doing okay? We okay? Is this making sense? We're hanging with me? If you're good, say I. I don't know. Your favorite candy bar. Okay, here we go. Okay, well, let's pause and stop for just a second. There's two mistakes that we can make in this moment. Mistake number one. First, the mistake we can believe is that Jesus tells everyone to sell everything in order to follow him. That's mistake number one. Jesus does not say that having money is wrong or unjust in and of itself. Some of you guys are like, oh, thank God. Woo, I want my greenbacks. You know, I want my cheddar. But it, it's true. He doesn't. It's a good thing. Jesus is not making the assumption that all rich people are bad and all poor people are good. There are many rich people who are radically generous, and the church needs that. We see radical generosity on display several times in the Bible from God-fearing men and women. We need that. We don't see Jesus asking all of his followers to do this. However, here's the second mistake that we can oftentimes make. The second mistake we can believe is selling everything to follow Jesus applies to no one. Oh, snapalicious. I don't like this one. Maybe God is calling you to sell all that you have. There are some whom the best thing that they could do for themselves spiritually is to radically forsake the materialism that is ruining them. There are some who think they are gaining the world and they don't even know they are losing and forfeiting their only soul. And you might have all the resources imaginable Yet you have abandoned relationships to those closest to you. And most importantly, you have abandoned your relationship with God. If we live like this, we run the risk of making money our God and our idol. You see, often we fixate on repenting of the bad things. And I think that's obviously appropriate. You know, don't cheat on your spouse. Don't lie. Don't steal. We got that. Okay, God, we do that. The gospel teaches us to repent of everything. Everything, even the good things. Money isn't evil. Money can be a very good thing. Maybe you make your kids your idol. Maybe you make your food your idol. Maybe you make your body your idol. Maybe you make your boyfriend and girlfriend your idol. These are all good things that make terrible gods. Because one day your kids are going to let you down. Because one day your boyfriend or girlfriend will let you down. One day your body is going to break down. The first time I had COVID, I couldn't smell or taste for three weeks. I couldn't taste my food. I was angry. I was upset. I want my food. Food idol much? I mean, I was, I don't want to talk about it. If it's eternal life you desire, young man, if you want to get over the feeling that you're lacking, young man, then you have to repent of how you've been using your good things. I love Tim Keller, his reflection on this. He says, Jesus is saying to the man in this passage, you have put 
your faith and trust in your wealth and your accomplishments. But the effort is alienating you from God. Right now, God is your boss, but God is not your savior. And here's how you can see it. You wanna imagine life without money. I want you to imagine life without it. I want you to imagine all of it gone. No inheritance, no inventory, no servants, no mansions, all of it gone. All you have is me. Can you live like that? Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. The word sad in the Greek is intense. It can also be translated grieved. Another instance of this word showing up in the New Testament is in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is sweating blood as he's grappling with the reality that the crucifixion is at hand. This young man wasn't just bummed. So don't picture him like, oh, that's too bad, Jesus. I really wanted to follow you. No, he was devastated. It was on the cross that Jesus would feel the sense of isolation, abandonment, and being forsaken by his father. The humanity of Jesus on full display as he felt his identity, which was found only in the father. He and the father were one. He felt like it was being ripped away from him. And I think it's safe to say, maybe you would agree, that this rich young ruler's identity is bound up in being a rich, young, religious ruler. And Jesus is inviting him to become unbound. Is there a cost? Absolutely. But the reward outweighs the cost by an immeasurable amount. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask of us to do what he hasn't already done. He is the perfect leader. The rich young ruler was asked to give up his possessions and his influence. Did Jesus give up a thing or two to come down to earth to sacrifice himself for you and for me? I think he might have get. I hope you're catching my sarcasm. I'm laying it on pretty thick. <laughs> the young man walked away devastated and he will continue to have a God-sized hole in his heart. The man cannot buy his way into the kingdom. The young man cannot gold star in the category of morality in the way of the kingdom. So what does this say? This is the tough part. Ugh. What does this say about you and me? Let's imagine for a second, I want to imagine just for a second, that this young man did lay it down. What if he said to Jesus, all right, Jesus, this one stings, but you got it. I'm going to lay it down. Let's say he did go out and sell everything, and he came running back to Jesus, but he didn't. But there are many accounts that are encouraging in the Bible where people do. And this is the cool thing about how God works. He sees not only our sins, but he sees our gifting, our resources, our possessions, and he asks us all to lay it at his feet. And our posture should be, yes, Jesus, take it all. This is my surrender to you. Take it all. Disciples, Peter, 
Andrew, what's in your hand? Uh, we're fishermen. We have nets in our hand. Perfect. Lay it down, and I will make you a fisher of men. That was a lot to give up. First century, fish was the primary diet. They had a good gig. Matthew, what's in your hand? Huh? I was just keeping records of some taxes over here. I have a pen in my hand. Perfect. Lay it down. And now go write a gospel account that bears your name that will display my goodness for all the world to see. Let's go back even further. Moses, what's in your hand? I have a staff and a stutter. That's all I've got. Perfect. Lay it down. Let's go rescue our people. Faith Church, what's in your hand? Tom, what's in my hand? Let's lay it down. What's in your hand that you need to lay down? What do you need to surrender this morning to become unbound? And what's the reward for laying it down? Jesus. He is our great reward. It's Jesus. He's our defender. We don't need anything else. With him, we lack nothing. He is the great reward, the name above all names. There is nothing better than him. I'll spend one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's why last week, man, I was a wreck. I mean, it's like we're just in the presence of the Lord. One day, Lord, thousands elsewhere. I don't care. Just give me that one day. He is the reward. So my question, friends, in closing is, what's in your hand? What, what are you willing to surrender? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning just postured in humility and brokenness, Lord. We ask, God, that you would perform the surgery on our hearts. It might sting a little here and there, Lord, but we know that you are the great reward. The world can take everything else. We want you, Jesus. So be glorified today, challenge us today, and it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen.